Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Grease the Wheels, your weekly automotive technician podcast for all you wrench twist ambassadors out there in Grease the Wheels Nation. This is your Uncle Jimmy coming to you from the Rock and Roll Garage on a Labor Day. Hey, I know you're not getting this on Labor Day, but I want to say thank you for being there. Hope you had a good Labor Day. Hope everything was cool. Hope you had a barbecue. Hope it didn't rain. It rained here. Sorry. Hope you had fun, had good food, had good friends, had good drink, played with the kids, the dog, maybe even the wife. Who knows? Whatever you did, I hope you had fun doing it. I, I appreciate what you do, and I, I know you deserve more than one day off a year for it, but, uh, you know, we take what we can get. That's the uh, mantra of an automotive technician. You take what you can get because you don't really get a lot. Hey, uh, I just want to say thanks for what you do. Thanks for keeping the planet moving, keeping everything running, keeping everything going. I know that there's a lot of different machines out there that do a lot of different things that all of you out there with all the tools and the wrenches and the screwdrivers and the hammers, big and small, keep moving. They keep us all comfortable and keep us all happy. Uh, I'm very grateful and don't take for granted the fact that we have electricity and I don't especially take for granted the fact that I have air conditioning and also don't also take for granted the fact that I have a job fixing automobiles, which is probably the easiest at times of all of the genres of uh, vehicle maintenance and repair and other machinery that goes down. I know a lot of you have to climb things or perhaps visit a work site or maybe even go to somebody's house to fix some shit they got that's broken. I get lucky they bring the shit to me either on flatbeds with tow trucks or they drive them in and they barely run or maybe they're just there for maintenance. So I realize that I've got it easy as an automotive technician. I'm not going to paint as bleak picture for me. Okay. But as technicians, uh, I feel like that we're uh, not treated very, very well sometimes. Uh, most of the time, actually. Uh, I feel like we're taken for granted and we're blamed for a lot of things that aren't our fault. Sometimes we're blamed for things that are our fault. But uh, I think most of the time, hopefully, at least in your case, we're blamed for stuff that isn't your fault. I don't know what to tell you about that. I'm not in charge of that. Uh, but what I did want to do today was send out a podcast uh, and I wanted to give it a name and a title, and I'm going to call it The Real Me. And this is the thing. Uh, nobody out there can see the real me, and I'm not talking about me per se. I'm talking about us and we as technicians of any type, but especially automotive technicians. Most people don't get to see the real me. Can you see the real me? The answer is probably fucking no. And when people do look in a uh, looking glass of, of a, a technician, of really any type, uh, they look in to see what that job is like, what it entails and how it goes, what it's like, how would it be for your son or your daughter? How would it be for me? How would it be for your best friend or your brother or maybe even your sister or a friend? How would it be? Well, we're going to give you a glimpse so that you can see the real me. Here's what we're going to do. I found an article, and uh, I'm really good at this, and uh, uh, where a guy actually goes through, and uh, and I want to paraphrase. I'm going to read it right from uh, beginning to end, uh, this one particular portion of it, because it really does, and this is something that is out there, something that you can read, something that you can find, something that you can see yourself. Uh, here's what he said. Now, this is the, this is the lead-up. In short, consider this. If you are coming out of high school and deciding on a career— how would you feel about this job description for a career path with a big fat question mark at the end? And then this is in italics, okay? This is like the description of a want ad for a, a general uh, uh, service technician. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in italics, okay? <laughs> Become a technician. You can expect a rewarding career in which you will work long hours, but may or may not get paid for all of them. You will work in a modern facility built in 1925 with three inches of oil dry on the floor in an area in which everything is dirty and you cannot find anything you are looking for and may get hurt tripping on something looking for the thing that you will never find. 
The general public will assume you are a crook trying to fix things that don't need to be fixed just to get more money from the customer. Your manager will second guess everything you diagnose or repair. You will receive factory training each year so you can try and better recoup some of the hours you don't get paid for on flat rate. You will eat or starve based off which service writer you get, and you better hope you get one that can actually sell or you'll never make any money. The rest of the dealership will ignore you, never consider you for promotion, and rarely even acknowledge your existence. You will bust your fingers, knuckles, heads, develop back problems, and more. Almost forgot, and you need to spend about $30,000 to buy your own tools. Good luck. All right, Uh, that really does fucking quite accurately sum it up. And this is the reason that nobody wants to fucking do this job because based on that description, and I think many of you are shaking your head going, yeah, it sounds about right. This job sucks. It sucks. Why would anybody do it? And the answer has to come down the pike from you personally. It can't come from me. I can tell you why I do it. I, I kind of love it. I love fixing shit, right? And I get paid, eh, I'd say fairly well, but I spent way more than $30,000 on tools. And as that little uh, blurb described, I get no respect from anyone. The salespeople think that their shit doesn't stink and that they invented sliced bread and that they're better than warm beer. And they're not. And, and, and as a matter of fact, if you're out there and you happen to be listening to this and you're a car salesperson, which I'm sure there's exactly 0.0% of people out there listening to this who are car salesmen, your job's obsolete, pal. <laughs> Just so you know, people are buying more and more cars off the internet. And guess what that means? They don't fucking need you anymore at all. <laughs> So I would figure out what you're going to do after your employer figures out that the customers don't need you because 10 seconds after they figure out that the customers don't need you, they're going to figure out that they themselves also in turn don't fucking need you. And they're going to send you on your way along with whatever money they used to pay you. They're going to put right back in their fucking pocket and say, well, wow, we dodged a bullet there. (laughs) Seriously, if you're selling cars somewhere and you're not on the internet, selling them to people who want to buy them and have you just bring them to their fucking house, then then you're doing something wrong, okay? And if you're a salesman who's trying to sell cars to people who come into the dealership, you might want to think about a future occupation where you don't do that anymore because that job is going to cease to exist. That job is going to cease to exist. That's what's going to happen. Nobody is going to need you. And I doubt in the past that they actually fucking need to do it all. People could have rolled into a dealership in 1972 to buy a car. Somebody could have said, hey, can I help you? They could have said, yeah, I want to buy that car over there. How much is it? And they would have said, oh, it's, you know, it's $5,000. They would have said, okay, here's money. See you later. I mean, did they really need salespeople at the time? No. No, you know why they needed salespeople? Because if somebody came in and said they were going to pay $5,000 for a car and that was a reasonable price, those salesmen would have said, well, no, we need 5100 for that car because that's all they ever wanted. They wanted the extra 50 fucking dollars. Anyway, uh, don't get me started on salespeople. They're, they really are. They're obsolete and they will cease to exist shortly, I believe, completely. I think I pointed that out in an episode not too long ago. But if you want to see the real me, that, that statement that I just read, that pretty much points it out. We don't get respect for what we do. People think we're trying to rip them off. We're evil and mean. We're basically Satan's minions out there in a shop. We're just trying to fuck things over and fuck things up. And we want to get paid for stuff that we didn't do. And we want to get paid more for the stuff we did do. And it sounds wrong. It sounds wrong when you say it like that, Uncle Jimmy. I know it sounds wrong, but it's not wrong. Because here's the reality. Here's here's what you need to see when you're looking at the real me. You need to see that somebody has spent a lot of time and energy learning how shit works so that they can learn why it doesn't. You might think that that's no big deal. Well, let me tell you something, okay? And this is the truth. 
Okay, doctors have to spend a lot of time in school learning how the human body works, learning how to fix it, learning what what it looks like when something's not right, learning how to medicate somebody or or even perform a procedure or whatever. And it takes a long time. And I have nothing but respect for doctors because anybody who can put up with the amount of education that you need to go through to get that, and also the uh, student loans necessary to get a, an education in the medical field, you have to have a, a real dedication to the job. You have to have a real dedication to that field. And you're not gonna find a lot of doctors out there who don't do that anymore. Okay, it's a real serious commitment. But here's the other side of that coin. The human body hasn't changed that much in the last thousand years or two thousand years. Okay, it hasn't changed that much. You know, you still have organs and limbs and a brain, hopefully, and uh, you still have the human body is still basically the same. Evolution for human beings, the species of Homo sapien, hasn't changed very much at all for a long time. Sure, some things come out different on some people. Some people look different. Some people have different things wrong with them. I get that. But the base blueprint for the human being has been the same for a long time. There's not a lot of things that the human body can do that a doctor hasn't either seen before or learned about. Every time I go to the doctor, they always point things out on me and they go, oh, that's uh, that's called this. Do you want us to fix that? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine with it, you know? Uh, so being a doctor, you have to know a lot of things, but the human body hasn't changed. Being an automotive technician, Another story, right? First off, you don't need to know shit to be, you don't really seem to need to know shit to be an automotive technician. Honestly, I've, I've met a few that didn't seem like they knew shit uh, and they still got the job done reasonably well. Uh, but the automobile has has evolved massively in just the last hundred years. Think about a car built. Now we're going to use 2022 as a model year because those fucking things are showing up already the 2022s and they look different and they do different things and and there's a whole bunch of extracurricular shit that your uncle jimmy's gonna have to learn to keep doing his job and he's not really looking all that forward to it gotta be totally honest with you okay but uh if you take a look at a car built in 1922 and you compare it to a car built in 2022 the fucking differences are completely they're massive they're huge they're unmistakable you you can't drive a car built in 1922 across the country in a reasonable amount of time you can't do it It, it's so basic fragile too by the way okay and everything on it it, the the mechanical principles of everything on it are, are the just so early so so nascent just not not up to date at all i mean even for the time you know model t was still at the time a model t was a was a car that had been built for four or five years the updates were very few and far between for that car so and is that car comfortable to ride in fuck no does it even enclose no if it's raining guess what it's raining on you i don't care if they put a roof over you has you ever seen rain come in sideways fuck yeah it happens all the time did it even have wipers did it even need them who knows what kind of safety equipment did you have well you had an axe maybe or maybe you had a packet of wrenches that were installed in the vehicle when you bought it brand new you know because you were going to be on the side of the road fixing that fucking thing a lot okay they were not reliable at all they didn't run very well and but they worked better than what they had before which was oh by the way nothing so now we look at a 2022 and these things do the most incredible fucking things and are on the verge of driving themselves anyway right they have to because we're all looking at our fucking phones while we're driving down the road 
man, I can't even get over that shit. It's illegal. And now it's happening more and more and more since the law was made that it's illegal to do that. But, uh, you know, some people don't give a fuck. They're like, oh, I can multitask until they drive into the proverbial bus full of kids and kill them all. And somebody says, oh, yeah, you were on your phone. And then they go, oh, well, that's probably why the accident happened. And, you know, you become a statistic and, and still actually nobody really gives a fuck that that's what was going on. When you should be charged with criminally negligent homicide and thrown in jail for a long time with, by the way, out your cell phone. Okay, you fucking dick. Anyway, I digress completely like I always do. Uh, but I just did want to say that, you know, the cars have evolved immensely. And if you were a technician in the 60s or the 70s and you try to roll back into a dealership or a shop now and get a job doing the same thing you were doing back then, you'd be you'd be out of it. You wouldn't know what the hell's going on. They don't have... Uh, straight axles anymore no car has straight axles anymore no they all have half shafts and they have half shafts on all four corners because they're four-wheel drive oh holy shit and the the differentials are captured they're not moving around at all okay great and they have air suspension right okay try diagnosing that shit how about transmissions they have eight fucking speeds in them now if you know anything about transmissions you probably know that that's just the inclusion of one possibly two and maybe even three different uh, different uh, planetary gear sets and uh, and of course the ancillary uh, control circuits for those so that's how you can get all those gears out of it and do they work fuck yeah they work great and you know what when you call if you call up the uh, technical support hotline and you tell them you got one that doesn't work they get very angry because they're very very reliable but do people understand them fuck no if i had to take one apart and rebuild it i probably couldn't do it to be honest with you even though i understand how a transmission works even though i can read a manual even though i could probably get all the parts i wouldn't do it because it's just not gonna pay number one and number two really are you sure you fixed it right because you're gonna have to put it all the way back together again and drive it to figure out if you did it right which is really not the best, not the most ideal, not the best situation. It's not the most ideal situation. And I can't even say it right. <laughs> I'm not sure I would want to do that, you know? I mean, if you rebuild transmissions and you know what you're doing and you put them back together again, and you put them in the vehicle and they work right, then I, I don't want to say you're lucky, but you're probably way more skilled than I'll ever be. And uh, kudos to you, okay? But I think a lot of us have to do that and cross our fingers when we drive them. Okay. Now I rebuilt some transmissions before and I uh, wasn't sure how they were going to work. And guess what? They, they did, but I, I, I think there was a modicum of luck involved there, especially for your Uncle Jimmy. He's not a tranny guy, really. And as far as some of these engines go, okay, you want to take a, a mid-70s small block Chevy and compare it to something they're building today. They don't even look similar. They don't look similar. They don't run similar. They don't work similar. An old an old small block Chevy with a quadrajet carburetor on it may run great, and it may make a wonderful noise when you open up the secondaries, but it's going to get you about 12 miles to the gallon, and it's going to use oil. The engines they have now, huh, they're six liters, and they have fuel injection, and they have, they have all kinds of different valve timing things going on, and they make triple the horsepower of a small block Chevy, and they use less gas. Okay, so that's how they've evolved. So... Our job gets tougher and tougher every freaking year, every year. And nobody seems to acknowledge these things. Nobody ever comes out and says, well, they brought a new model of a car out and we expect you to learn how to fix it. But you know what? In order for us to show you the appreciation that we need to show you for fixing these cars, even though they're getting tougher and tougher to fix, we're going to give you a raise. Has anybody ever fucking heard that statement before? Fuck no. 
No, it hasn't happened. The people we work for, honestly, I don't I don't think that they're all 100% like this, but I think that this is a very general statement. It can't be true in all cases, but I think it's a very good and correct and accurate general statement is that anybody who runs a shop and is in charge of payroll for the technicians out in that shop, they don't want to give you more money. They don't want to. There's not a burning desire out there to pay anybody in, in any business more money for something that they don't understand how you, how it gets done. They don't want to do it. They don't understand at all. They think, oh, working on cars is easy. My dad used to work on his car. My brother used to work on his car. My boyfriend used to work on his car. My girlfriend used to work on her car. It's just not something that happens out there. Nobody is seeing the real me. Nobody is looking at you and saying, wow, your job gets tougher and tougher every year. You should probably make more money every year. No, it's not happening. They're not seeing the real me. Now, when we talk about about payroll, and I've said this before, I think that when people uh, hire people, and I don't even care where, uh, it could be at a Walmart or it could be anywhere in the world where you could work of an AutoZone store or you could work for DoorDash or Little Caesars Pizza. You could work for anybody out there. You could work for the DOT. You could work for Texaco, Exxon. You could work for the government. They don't want to give you more money. They don't want to. It's not part of, of capitalism. There's no room in capitalism for people who want to pay more money. It just isn't part of the plan. There's only room for people who want to keep control of expenses and save money and be frugal. That's one of the things about capitalism that kind of sucks is that, that a lot of people are blind to the fact that if you can do something, you need to get paid to do it. And Regardless of what you think about it, if you're paying somebody to do something and they don't feel like they're well paid at it, they may not do it for you any fucking more. And that is what's gone on over the course of the last 15 and 20 years now in this particular industry, the automotive industry, and actually other industries too, where people do a technical job and they get paid to do a technical job and maybe they don't get paid well enough to do it. They just say, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to fucking do it anymore. You can't see the real me. The real me is fucking leaving. Find somebody to do my job for me. Pay them less than me. I don't give a fuck. Go fuck yourself. Take your job and stick it up your ass. Probably a good job anyway. You know why? Because you can stick good things up your ass. That's what they say. They say, stick it up your ass. Good things don't hurt. All right. So seriously, moving forward, what I really wanted to say is that they have people who have decided that they can't see the real me have figured out in their mind that what we do is easy. What we do is not that hard and we should be able to do it correctly all the time. And when it doesn't go correctly all the time, they can't understand a lot of different things. There's a lot of things they can't understand. I've I've spoken about this many times. I've even come up with a name for these people. I call them people of the chair. And I think you know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to give you a quick explanation on what people of the chair are. People of the chair are anybody who goes to work and has a chair where they sit in there and they either stare at a computer or they help customers, but they rarely ever get out of their fucking chairs. People of the chair are people who have preconceived notions and ideas about how things should work, how things should go, and what's supposed to happen. They're not actually the people who put the fucking tools to the cars. They're not the people who actually talk to the customers. They're not the people who wash the cars. They're not the people who handle the parts. They're the people who handle the people that do that stuff. And whether or not, and you know I'm a big basher of managers of any type, really, because I've seen so many fucking hideous ones that I don't have a lot of respect for people of the chair because anyone with a fucking ass can warm a fucking seat. Anybody could be a person of the chair. Whether or not you're getting the job done, that's a whole nother fucking story. But people of the chair, they don't care as long as they can sit in a chair all day. They don't give a shit. 
What are they going to do? They're going to tell somebody to do something, and if it gets done right, oh, well, they'll just yell at them from the chair, by the way. You and I know that it's different for us out there. Uh, in our shop, we have very few chairs, to be quite frank with you. Uh, there's not a lot of sitting down. Uh, I, I honestly, uh, myself personally, if I look at the real me, uh, the real me is a person who stands up all day long, all day long. If I sit down, it's probably because I went to bed at four o'clock in the morning and slept on the couch for two hours and then went to work and I need to sit down because if I don't, I'll pass out, which has happened. But for us, we're not sitting down. We're not people of the chair. We're we're people in motion. We're very dynamic, okay? We're people in motion. We're fixing this. We're pulling that car in. We're pulling that car out. We're changing oil. We're diagnosing cars. We're making sure that they're safe. We're making sure that they're in the right condition. We're adjusting whatever it is we can adjust. We're topping off fluids. We're the ones who are fucking doing the motherfucking job. What I want to know is why, why does all the attention get paid to the people who sit in the chairs, the service manager? Wow, he runs a really good service department. And it sometimes even gets the the title instead of being a service manager, he's a fixed operations manager. It's like, whatever. Uh, how about we just call him what he is, a fucking shithead most of the time. I've had some folks have had some really terrible ones, really fucking terrible ones. And they get the credit when the shop runs right. But when the shop doesn't run right, what's the first thing they do? They throw the technicians under the bus or the service advisors under the bus. And I'm okay with throwing service advisors under the bus. Let me get behind the wheel and back them back up over them. Because service, service advisors are another group of people who sit in a chair, who are people of the chair. And they don't, they, they're more likely than anybody to see the real me. And a lot of times, and I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to completely bash the living shit out of service advisors. I don't want to do that because I've had some really, really good ones. I have some really good ones right now. There's a few things that some of them do that I don't really agree with. And there's a couple of things that they do that really annoy the fucking piss out of me. And the other people in the chair, the other people of the chair are not going to do anything about it. And that's where the problem lies, is if someone develops bad habits as a service advisor, as someone who is a one of the people of the chair, one of the other people of the chair is not going to do anything about it because that's going to involve him to actually get out of his chair and chastise somebody else who sits in a chair. And he's not going to do that. They're not going to do that. There's no initiative there. So what you have in a lot of cases, and I believe that this is true in a lot of places, it's been true in a lot of places I work, you have what we call anarchy, which means people are going to do what the fuck they want to do and have actually no concern for what the rules are or how they should be followed. They do what they want to do when they want to do it. And if they don't want to do it, they will wiggle and squirm out of it, even though they should do it. And I'm talking about selling recommended services or offering to somebody to buy something that we've recommended for them, or perhaps documenting correctly, I might add, some of the uh, customer's concerns. You can't have three different concerns on one fucking line. Stop doing that shit. And if you have information that would be important to a technician, you should probably put it in the fucking complaint line. If not, maybe send somebody a message somehow or another saying, hey, this guy said this or this guy said it does that. You know, that'd be good to know if you're a technician, don't you think? But they don't see the real me. They don't see us. They think, oh, he'll figure it out. Oh, really? Oh, okay. How about if I figure something else out? Like I come up and just hit you upside the head and say, what else did this guy fucking say? You know, is it a fucking secret? Why has it got to be a secret? Tell me. Can't tell you how many times I've tried to figure out what's going on with a car. I can't find anything wrong with it. And I find out that they said left instead of right, or they said front instead of back, or they were talking about tires and it sounded like they were talking about brakes and all because the service advisor just didn't want to write out everything the customer said. Happens all the time. And it's because they don't see the real me. 
They don't know what my job's like. I don't expect them to know what my job's like, even though quite a few of them think they could probably fucking do it better than me. But that's enough. I don't want to really beat the shit out of service advisors and service managers too much. I want to make this about us. We are the real me. Can you see the real me? Okay, apparently apparently you can't. Now, here's some sad truths about being a technician. The statement I read earlier, I think was was hideously correct and, and accurate and, and all counts. We have to buy our own tools. They're expensive. There's nothing cheap about tools. We can't go out to Harbor Freight and buy tools, okay? We could, sure. But a lot of times you use some of those tools that are made in China with little or no quality control whatsoever, and the engineering is terrible, and maybe the metallurgy is terrible. You can use them two, three times and they break. There are some tools there that do a really good job. And if you use them correctly, they're not going to break on you. But I think that that's a very small percentage. Now, even in, in in recent times here, Harbor Freight has picked up a line of tools that is that appears to be a much better quality. But it's too late for me because I've already invested quite a bit of money in buying much more uh, quality tools, even 5, 10, 15 years ago, even 20 years ago, that I can use as a professional technician, okay? So all the money I've spent on tools is just inconsequential to everyone around me. That isn't that isn't a technician. The parts guys don't give a fuck that I've spent thirty to $40,000 on tools. The uh, service advisors don't care. The service managers don't care. And the customers don't care. But if I don't have a tool and I can't get a job done, then all of a sudden they're not going to be, they're not going to give me any slack because I don't have a specific tool. They're just going to, they're just going to say that I suck and I'm no good at what I do. Even though I could do the job if I had the tool, I just don't have the money to buy the fucking tool. And sometimes the dealership is supposed to provide specific special tools for a vehicle. They don't got them or somebody else has got them, or somebody else had them and threw them in their box and quit and left with them, and they're gone. That happens too. So, you know, there's something that they don't see about the real me. There's something they're not seeing. What else? The shop gets really, really fucking dirty. Yeah, no shit. The shop gets really fucking dirty, and sometimes it's hard to work in a shop that's dirty. At least it is for me. I know some of you, some of you don't care at all, even a little bit, and some of you are only happy if the shop is dirty and fucked up. I think I work with all of those guys. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that go on in a shop and it creates a huge fucking mess. And it kills me. And I but I've been dealing with this for a long time, so it doesn't really actually kill me dead. But it kind of bugs me is that nobody seems to give a shit about their environment. I mean, yeah, I know they don't care about their environment and I've kind of gotten over it a little bit but every once in a while i just have to stop and clean the fucking place up and ask anybody who's worked with me they i'll tell you i i have to get the broom out and sweep shit up i have to move tires i have to fucking scrape the fucking wheel weights off the floor and clean them off the tire balance or wherever the fuck they just left them and i'm the guy i'm the guy who does that okay and that's something that that even technicians don't see the real me it's like look your shop is your work environment and if it's nice, try to keep it nice. If it's shitty, try to make it a little nicer. It makes your job a little bit easier. Am I saying that you should spend a lot of time making your making your work area nice, making it into a clean environment? No, I don't. I'm not saying that at all. I don't think you should waste a minute doing it. I think that it should be somebody else's job. I think, but uh, in some cases, it's not somebody else's job, which is what it appears in a lot of places I've worked. It appears that it's your job. And that's where they don't see the real me because guess what? If you're paid flat rate, you're certainly not going to get paid to clean and not getting paid to clean. And maybe you should be. The people of the chair aren't going to pay you for that if you do it. And they're not going to pay anybody 
if it doesn't get done, if, especially if it doesn't get done at all. They're just going to complain about it and say you got to do it and then try to force you to do it. And, you know, you may end up leaving. I mean, I said, fuck you. I'm not cleaning your shop, even though I made the mess. Some of the other things that go on is some of the cars they bring in. Now, I, I worked in an independent and I was never, it seems like it was a never ending battle with, with some of the cars that were brought in that were just horrendous, absolutely horrendous piles of shit. And you could almost, from the moment they drop it off, you could almost tell that some customers were never, ever, ever going to come back for that car. They were tired of that car. They were finished with that car. That car was many, many miles past the point of no fucks given. Hey, that's the point where somebody cares about a car and then all of a sudden something happens and they're like, that's it. Fuck that car. I don't give a fuck about that car. The car has crossed over the line of no fucks given. I'm going to take it to the fucking shop, whether it's a dealership or an independent shop, and I'm going to see how much it costs to fix it. And if it's too much, I'm just going to abandon it there. Fuck them. I'm not even going to come back and pay them for the diagnosis. Fuck them. And you all have that. Now, that's part of the real me that they're not seeing is that you work on it and you diagnose it and you come up with a reason why it's fucking up and maybe you also point out a bunch of other stuff that needs to be fixed and a customer doesn't give a fuck. How are you supposed to know that? You don't know that. You're not going to know that either. And believe me, there's been some shops I've worked at where there was a fucking shit ton of cars that just got left there and this makes more work for the people who work there than you could even imagine because you could people are like oh just get a mechanics lien or uh, whatever okay really it's not that simple and the work involved to get all that shit done really i think that i was going to invent a, i was going to start up a company an app that did all of that work for somebody and just charged them a small fee and maybe a percentage of what they sold the car for the uh abandoned car app because if a dealership didn't have to deal with an abandoned car and you came in and said, I'll deal with it for a cut of the money we're going to make when we sell it to the scrapyard or sell it at an auction, they'd probably say, go for it. As long as it was all legally done. See, there's your Uncle Jimmy trying to help you out. If you can get into the business of making apps to help dealerships out with some of the problems they have, then so be it. Okay, if that gets you out of there, if that gets you out of the shop or if it gets you into a, a, a people of the chair job, <laughs> I like to say, whatever, go for it. Take that idea and run with it. It's fine. Fine with me. I mean, if I could do it, I probably would because I know there's some shops where they have dozens of cars that have been abandoned. There. Dozens. And if you came in and said, you know what? You sign on with me. I'll take care of all that shit and we'll split the money. They'd probably be like, go nuts. And it probably wouldn't happen in a day or maybe wouldn't even happen in a week. But in a month, you could get rid of all those fucking cars and those people would be happy. And you could make money doing that. So there's a there's a job opportunity for you that involves not fixing them. It involves getting rid of them after people decided that they don't want to fix them. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Another thing I wanted to say is that a massive problem that we all have as technicians is how we are paid. Not just what we're paid, how we're paid. Some of us out there are hourly. I was hourly for a short period of time, but the rate of pay was so low that it actually cost me money to work at the place I was working at. So I had to get out of there. I had to get somewhere where I was going to get paid more and I was going to get paid more for doing more because I I felt like I was very competent and confident, okay? If it sounded like I said both words, you're right, I did. Really, I am competent and confident about what I do. If I tell somebody something about their car that it needs this, that, or the other thing, more than likely, I'm exactly on the fucking money. How much is that worth? Well, it should be worth a lot to you because sometimes you go places and they don't have a fucking clue and they'll just say, oh, you need a new engine. Well, okay, you might need a new engine. 
okay? But how often, how often do you think it's happened where something silly is wrong with an engine and somebody could fix it with a $10 part, but instead they just quote a whole new engine? And putting a whole new engine, by the way, will fix the car because the old part goes out with the old engine. Well, that's where that's where paying a, a, an experienced technician with plenty of training and plenty of, to, of, of, of skill and plenty of education pays off for you. Because you could take somebody who expects to have to pay for a whole brand new engine and he comes to find out he ha- all he has to do is buy a $10 part and have it installed for you know maybe five or 10 hours worth of labor and his engine will run like new again. It's gonna have to be a lot cheaper than a new engine, I would think. And this is one of the things that you have to think about when you run a shop. You wanna see the real me? Does the real me just quote whole transmissions when all he needs to do is replace a gasket? I've seen that many fucking times. Does the real me know how to fix, how to diagnose and fix an engine without replacing the entire fucking assembly? Yeah, I think so. That's a real me that they're not seeing. What are you getting for your money? Are you paying that guy hourly? You should probably pay him a bonus. The other way that people get paid, and uh, I used to get paid this way, and uh, I was on the fence about it, and a lot of other people were on the fence about it, and it ended up going away, and I think it was a bad thing. But we used to pool the hours, where everybody in the shop took all the hours that they made, threw them into a pool, and then they just divided them up by however many guys there were. This is really not the greatest idea in the world because there's always gonna be a couple of guys who really turn a lot of hours. They're really good at fixing stuff and they're really quick and they can fix a lot of stuff quickly and they turn a lot of hours. And then there's always some fucking cocksucker who turns very, very few hours, very few hours and is always fucking off and doing nothing and and fixing stuff wrong and having to fix it again later. And he, he costs the team money. So if you pool hours and you got this jackass on there, he's taking money directly away from somebody who's fixing something quickly. And they hate him and they're looking for a way to kill him and make it look like an accident. But I figured out a way that you could make the pooling of the hours work. But it involves kind of some some tomfoolery with some Excel spreadsheets and maybe payroll. Uh, the payroll department may have to do something different. And a lot of times it involves accountants. And accountants don't want to do things that that pay technicians more typically because it's just not a capitalistic thing to do. But what you could do if you worked on a team and you pooled hours is you could take the high guy on the team and the low guy on the team every week or every two weeks, whatever your pay period is, and you could carve them right out of the pool and pay them what they turned. Okay, you got somebody out there where everybody's turning 50 to 60 hours and this one guy turns 70 to 75 hours, pay him for 70 to 75 hours. Pay him that extra 10 hours, that 15 hours over what the pool average is gonna be. Pay him that. He's worth it. If he can turn that many hours in a week, he's worth giving him that extra money to incentivize him to keep it up keep doing it. If you stick him in the pool and he loses money every week because he, he fixes stuff real fast and real well and other people are making money off of him, it's just going to irritate him and drive him out the door. So don't do it. Just don't do it. Pay him what he turns. Now take your low guy out. If say this guy turns 27 hours or 25 hours every pay period, but he's getting paid for 50, 55 or 60 hours because he's part of the pool. Take that fucking wretched piece of shit out of the fucking pool as well. Take him out and pay him what he turned. And guess what? If that guy does that four weeks in a row, find a way to put that guy out the door or motivate him to do something different or make him hourly or make him flat rate because flat rate, he'll starve and he'll have to figure something else out. He'll have to either work harder, work faster, harder and faster and better 
or he'll have to get the fuck out and learn how to say things like, would you like fries with that? Or welcome to Walmart, shit like that. That's one of the ways you could fix that problem. And that way, pooling the hours would work because you would get, the one thing that did happen when we pooled the hours was is that everybody was concerned with how everybody else was doing genuinely, okay? And this was the good thing about pooling hours, Okay, if I'm working next to a guy and his number of hours turned makes my number of hours turn look good and we all make more money when we all do it and he's struggling with something and he doesn't need to be struggling with it because he doesn't know something that I know, I will gladly tell him. I will show him something or he will show me something or he will help me lower an exhaust or help me guide a, an engine and transmission back into a car or maybe he'll help me you know, hold something or, or rev something up or help me bleed some brakes. He's gonna help you. He's gonna wanna help you. It, it costs him nothing to help you. In fact, it helps you make more money, which helps him. So that's one of the things I did like about pooling of the hours was that we worked together as a team way better. I remember a story from way back. The specific brand that I worked for had a car that was absolutely unbelievably horrendous to work on. And the rest of their cars were fairly easy by comparison. So we worked at this one particular dealership where we were behind like two, three months. And we always had a stack of ROs that was literally four to five inches tall. And so one day I had finished up a car I was working on and was looking for another car to work on. And I had a great amount of experience on this one particular car that nobody else in the shop liked to work on. So I took it upon myself to kind of take these cars out of the mix and work on them myself so that nobody else got them because I had a better idea what was going on with them than really almost everybody else in the shop. There was one other guy. He and I did most of these cars at that particular time, and we were able to get them done very efficiently while everybody else kicked ass and took names on all the other stuff. And I remember this four-inch stack of ROs. I started going through it and pulling out all these cars that nobody else in the shop wanted to work on. And one of the other guys ran over and started chastising me vehemently, if I might add, for Picking the piles. You can't pick the pile. You can't pick the pile. And I had already pulled out probably three or four particular ROs in that stack that were of the car that I can work on and I can fix fairly efficiently and fairly quickly that nobody else was going to want to. And he started, I, I handed it back to him. And I said, here, look at what I pulled out of that pile. And as he's looking at these particular ROs, he goes, okay, you can have that one. And then he looks at the next one. He goes, all right, you can, you can work on that one. And then he looked at the next one. He goes, you could." You, you can have that one. And then he just handed me the other one and he just said, you can work on whatever you want and pick the pile anytime you want. Because that's how the pooling of the hours works. You have a guy who can do one thing well and nobody else wants to do it. Boom, it helps the team. So I think it's a really good way. Uh, honestly, I'm not trying to sell the, sell the idea to anybody. I just thought that it was a really good way to work. It made everybody cohesive. It made them into a team. It made them all want to do better. It made them all want to help each other. I just thought it was a good way to go. And this is something that the people of the chair are not going to see when they look out in the shop. They're not going to see the real me. They're not going to see all of us working together. They don't see that. They see us all as individual, like sort of pirates, I guess, you know, that are just concerned with ourselves and how much money we make and, and always are whining about how much money we don't make. One of the other ways of making money as a technician, you all know, is flat rate and flat rate. Everyone bemoans flat rate that doesn't know anything about it. Let me tell you one thing right now. I, like I said before, I'm not Nostradamus. I'm not really good at making predictions, but here's one prediction I'm, I'm going to make. Flat rate. The way it works now in automobile dealerships and shops is never, ever, ever going to go away. Never. I don't care what the fuck happens. There will be battles fought tooth and nail over the over flat rate. The manufacturers hate it. I'm sure they hate it. I know they hate it. I've heard them say in certain situations that they hate it. But the owners of the shops, the people who run the shops and the dealerships love it. 
They fucking love it. And as a technician, I'm not that fond of it myself, but I could be. And every once in a while I am. And I'll tell you why. If, you, if you're a technician, you probably already know why. Flat rate is a promise that, that you're going to get paid for doing something and then doing it faster and still getting paid the same. Let me break it down a little farther for you. You know that if it pays five hours to do a water pump and you could do it in an hour and they sell the job for five hours, you're going to do it in an hour and get paid for five hours. If you could do two of those in a day, you'll spend two hours working on a car and make 10 hours. Who's going to love that? Well, first off, you're going to love that. Second off, your dealer's going to love that. Third off, your customer's not going to be aware of it. He's going to think, unless, of course, you work on the car, get it done in an hour and bring it around front and say you're all set to go. He's going to wait. I thought the job was going to take five hours. But a lot of places have figured out that you really can't do that. You know, if you sell a job for five hours, you don't want it to be a waiter. Or if you do, you better make him wait five hours. <laughs> God damn it. But that particular way of paying a technician incentivizes a technician to do the job as quickly as possible. Quality be damned. Okay, the quality of the repair goes out the fucking door when you do that. It goes out the door. Are you going to do the extra little things you need to do to make sure the car is good? Fuck no. Your flat rate. People say, hey, why don't you set the tire pressures? I don't get paid to set tire pressures. Why don't you top off all the fluids? I don't get paid to top off all the fluids. Why don't you do this? I don't get paid to do that. And I'm experiencing that now. I'm flat rate and I'm not getting paid to do videos. I'm not getting paid to do multi-point inspections. So guess what? They can get done whatever way they want. And if they don't like it, tough shit. They can have their money back. Oh, wait, they didn't pay anything. Oh, here you go. Here's a here's a fucking blank check. Never going to have the amount filled in. The reason that the manufacturers hate flat rate is because you're putting quantity in front of quality. Now, I, I see a lot of videos where manufacturers build cars. I'm just kind of an idiot like that. And I see that they spend an extraordinary amount of time in quality control. Extraordinary. They put out vehicles that are as perfect as they can possibly be. If not, they'll fix them. They'll fix them right there. But as soon as they exit the door and get on a car carrier of some sort, or maybe even a boat, and they get to you, nobody in your place, not you, not the people of the chair, nobody, not the salespeople, nobody gives a fuck about the quality on that car. Nobody. Oh, they'll say they do. Oh, we we care a great deal about the quality. What they care about is the money. They care about how much money they can make on it. And they care about how much money they can make on it when when you bring it back in, we have to fix it. They care about how much money you're going to spend buying accessories for it. They care about how much money you're going to spend on interest for the financing for it if you can't afford to buy the whole fucking thing, which hardly anybody ever can anyway. That's all they care about. They care about the money. Money makes the world go around. And manufacturers know this and they hate this. And flat rate is one of the things that drives them crazy because there's no mention of quality. When you talk about flat rate. Now, as a flat rate technician, I do the little things that make sure that the customer's car is good to go. I will check the tires. I will top off all the fluids. But guess what? I'm an anomaly. I'm a fucking old timer. I'm old school, baby. And there ain't that many of me left. And pretty soon, someday, I'll be gone too. And you guys will be left behind. And people will say, well, why didn't you fill up the tires? Why didn't you check the tire pressures? I don't get paid for that. I don't get paid for that. Not going to do it. And if the manufacturer had their way, they would make you hourly or salary, probably salary. And the dealer would hate that. And the dealer would not like that at all because people would stop working quickly. They would stop making 10, 15, 20 hours a day. They would just turn the pace down. They're going to get paid the same no matter what, right? Would they take more time to do a repair? Fuck yeah. Could you tell them that they need to check the tire pressures? Yeah, you could say that to them, you know, and they would probably do it. 
You could say, would you top off all the fluids? Well, yeah, that's part of my job. I can do that. Sure. As long as I'm not flat rate, that's the problem with that. But nobody sees the real me. Nobody sees that this is the way the technicians are. Now, one of the other things that I came across here on this particular thing, and I want to talk about money and uh, I want to talk about uh, the shortage of technicians, as I always do. But it's 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 the main the main topic of this podcast. No matter where this where this podcast goes, and believe me, it has meandered back and forth across the landscape of the automotive industry. <laughs> believe me, if you listen for a little while, you know that the, the topics go from here to there and back again. Uh, and some of them, sometimes it's Mars and Venus and and Uranus. Uranus, no, not Uranus, the planet Uranus, asshole. The number one problem, this particular website with that same description of what it's like to be a technician, the the actual accurate description of what it's like to be a technician. They tried to list the problems and why there is a shortage of technicians. There was three problems listed here. There's many more problems than that, but uh, uh, oh no, there was four, excuse me. I apologize. I left a, I left one out. The first problem was compensation. The second one was working conditions. The third one, professional development. And the fourth is respect. Now, if I had to list those in order, obviously compensation would be at the top of the list, tippy top of the list. Uh, it's about the money, boys and girls. We show up to work and we do what we do. We need to earn money because with money, we we buy the things we want. We pay for the things we've got. And if they were to see the real me, the people who who sign the checks, people who write the amounts out, people who hire us, the people who tell us how much we're going to make. If they could see what we do, if they had a real clue as to what we do, I believe, honestly, that they would pay us more without any hesitation. But they remain sort of, I don't know, I want to say ignorant, but it's, it's, and it's not a blissful ignorance. It's just a, it's just a willful ignorance to what we do. Okay. The only time they ever seem to get worked up, these people of the chair, is when something doesn't go right. They're not taking into account all the times when things do go right, when things are perfect, when things are great, when everything gets done correctly. They, all they do is remember what went wrong. All they do is remember what went wrong. I call that managing from the negative. And I don't like that. I mean, if you're going to keep a list of everything that I fucked up, everything that went wrong, every time I'm late, every time I did this wrong or did that wrong, and then when I ask you for a raise, you're going to take it out of your desk and beat me over the head with it like a big rubber baseball bat. I'm going to take that big rubber baseball bat bash you over the head with it. And then I'm going to go load my tools in my car and I'm going to fucking take off because in this climate right now, I don't need to put up with that bullshit and I'm not going to. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes here. The compensation should really not be called compensation. It is problem number one, but it should just be called money. It's straight up money. We're not paid enough. We are not paid enough. And the one of the problems with not being paid enough is that we, even with the most rudimentary math skills, can tell how much money you make off of us. Okay. We can tell. And I've I've done this a bazillion times on this podcast. And here comes a bazillion and one. You take the labor rate that your customers get charged and you take all the hours that you turned and all the money that you made from the hours that you turned and you multiply it instead of by your by your rate of pay, you multiply it by the labor rate and you get the fucking number of how much money they made off of you. And that number is fucking enormous compared to the number of the of the, the dollar amount that they paid you. And all that money in between how much they paid you and how much they charge a the customer, all that money pays for everything else. All the people in the chairs, all of the parts and inventory, all of the extracurricular shit that goes on in your dealership. And if you have any kind of uh, a corporate structure, you're paying for all those people too. You're paying for all of that. No wonder they don't want to pay you more. 
you're probably stretched thin, especially if they have to pay an extracurricular amount of people who sit in chairs all day long. It's the people of the chair that cost them money. We're the people who don't sit in chairs. We're the ones making it. That's where I see an, an enormous amount of inequity. I think that that shops and dealerships need to find a way to make sure that technicians are paid well enough to buy the things that they need and want and be happy. Now, will money make you happy? It's been proven a long time ago that money does not make you happy. Just talk to some former lottery winners. They'll tell you the worst thing that ever happened to them was winning the fucking lottery, which just sounds so wrong. But I believe it because so many of them said it. I'd like to find out myself personally, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But look, I could I could use some more money. And when I get more money, it makes me, you know, if I get a raise, it makes me think that somebody cares about what I'm doing. Uh, in this particular environment that we have now, I feel like a raise in wages for technicians is simply a stopgap measure to keep us from leaving. And depending on how much the raise is, is the exact amount of incentive to stay, to stay working there. And if it's not good enough, it'll leave anyway. And I'll tell you personally, I've been told I will probably see a raise in my next pay period. And I'll bet you would, I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a good chunk of money too. It's going to be a dollar or it's going to be $2. And I'm sorry, that's just not enough for all the horse shit that I have to put up with. It's not enough for all the horse shit that I do. It's not enough for all of the experience and the training and expertise I bring to the job. It's just not enough. The raise has to be substantial for me because the rate of pay I'm at now, I'm a bargain. I'm a fucking bargain. And it's not its not my a massive ego that says that. It's what I see around me, what I see going on around me. Nobody does their job the way I do it. Nobody. There's a couple of guys who are better than me and do the job better than me. And I would hope that they're more well-paid. But for the most part, the people who work around me, they don't do the job as well as I do. They don't care as much as I do. They don't do the things that I do. They don't fill in the blanks. They don't top off the fluids and fill up the tire pressures. They don't look for other stuff. They aren't as, they just aren't as good as me. They may be better in some ways, but for the most part, they're not better than me all the way around. I mean, no, nobody in my shop has as much experience as I do. Does that count for anything? I don't know. We'll leave that question up to you and you can answer it yourself. I have about 19 years of experience at the brand I'm at. Uh, I've been working on cars for much longer than that, but I was a parts guy and doing it on the side. So it doesn't count. I don't know. You can make your own judgment call on that. Now, working conditions, uh, the working conditions at the dealer I'm at are actually very, very good. Very good. And there's no complaints there. Um, but they have to be, they really have to be because where we are, it gets extremely hot and, uh, can't work when it's hot. The temperature goes up five or 10 degrees, which it has over the course of the summer and a few times when the AC decided it didn't want to work and the workflow grinds to a halt. They don't want to work when it's hot. When it's hot, I'm going to work slower. So it's not good. You need to keep the place at a reasonable temperature and yeah, it costs money, but you know what? If it slows me down and I don't earn you as much money then it costs you even more money than you think. Also, too, our building is fairly new. I've worked in some other buildings that weren't so new. Uh, I've worked in some places where uh, some of the fellow employees just left shit laying around and nobody, it was never anybody's job to clean it up. And so nobody was going to clean it up. And it, unfortunately, it never got cleaned up. And that was unacceptable. That was not something that I wanted to do. So I got the fuck out of there. Professional development. Yeah, you know, uh, as I said before, these cars evolve all the time, constantly evolving. And you as a technician, you need to evolve right along with them. You need to uh, get training, partake of the education opportunities that are available to you because here's the good side of that, the upside of that. I know a lot of guys don't want to go to school. They don't want to have to learn more stuff. But you know what? When you do and you can put it on a resume 
and you can show that you've gotten all this training, it looks good. It makes you worth more. It makes you more valuable. And if you get training, if you're at a job and you're making, let's just say $20 an hour, just to say a, a number, and you get all the training you need to work on the current model year, maybe you're at a dealer, maybe you're not at a dealer, maybe you're at an independent and you just endeavor to find out how things work, maybe officially, maybe unofficially, but now you're better at your job. Should somebody compensate you for that? Fuck yeah, they should. You can now do more for them and help them make more money and quicker and better. I mean, I I would say clearly air conditioning systems are that way. If you know what's going on with AC, I think that it makes you extremely valuable because I have run into so many fucking people who don't have a clue how it fucking works. And I'm talking about technicians. They don't have a clue. If you understand the basic principles of it and what's got to happen when and where, and then can spot it when it doesn't happen when and where, then you're ahead of the game and you should be paid more. Respect, you know, that's the that's really the theme of this particular podcast. You know, when I say, hey, can you see the real me? And the answer is no, they can't see the real you. They see a greasy, grimy, ignorant, booger-eating bastard who has tools and fixes cars and otherwise is just a worthless ape. That's what I think people see when they look at me. That's what I think they see when they look at all technicians. They don't see a human being. They just see some fucking guy who fixes things. And they see somebody who probably couldn't sell cars like they do or couldn't manage a a group of people like they do or couldn't talk to customers like they do or even customers looking at us going, oh, you can't do what I do. I think that's bullshit. I think that respect is something, and and I've said this many times before and I'm going to say it again, uh, respect is something that you should have for people on a a very middle-of-the-road level. You should respect people when you meet them immediately and then from there you should have this middle of the road level of respect let's call it ground zero and as you get to know people as you talk to them even for just a few minutes you can either go up in that scale and earn more respect or you can go down in that scale and earn less respect and people who don't respect us as a group as technicians as people who fix things and fix things for them sometimes if you don't have respect for us how do you think that's going to make us feel when you ask us to work on your car or a car that you sold even? Because that's the one thing I enjoy the most about car salespeople is that they'll sell a car and then three months later, that guy will call them up as the car salesman and ask them, hey, my car is fucking up. What do I do? Uh, yeah, you have to call the service department. Oh, okay. And then they complain about it. Oh, the customer called me like I'm the service department. <laughs> Fuck you. You stole them the car, asshole. You should expect them to call you. You should thank them for calling you because guess what? This is the thing with people, ladies and gentlemen. No, almost nobody keeps a car over three or four years. I keep cars forever because I'm a, I'm a ridiculous idiot, but uh, it's just me. But most of us don't keep cars over five years. Most of us don't. And so if you sell a car and a guy calls you up three months later and says, oh, my car is broken now, and you just say, I don't give a fuck. I sold it and cl- hang up on him. Guess what? He's not going to buy another one from you, dick. <laughs> you can see why you can see why salesmen will be obsolete in the future, and actually the future is now. So, but respect is not something that you you should expect, and especially as a technician, you shouldn't expect it, but you should get it, especially if you treat people good and you do your job right. You should expect respect. Okay, the level of respect for you should go up, and if people give you less respect than you de- than you feel like you deserve, then go ahead and give them less respect than they deserve. And when they need something from you, because this is the beauty, this is the beauty of being an automotive technician, ladies and gentlemen, is that at some point, every asshole with a car is going to need a technician. 
unless he's a technician himself. And even then, in some cases, they may need you anyway because they don't know how to fix whatever system on the car is broken. There's not that many of us out there who can fix everything anymore. But respect is not something you're going to get instantly or you can buy. You just have to earn it. It comes in small chunks. It comes in the form of saying hello to somebody and asking them how they're doing. It comes in the form of being being there and you know being in, in, their, in their circle and, and, and just acknowledging that they're there and saying hello. I mean, that's as simple as it is, really. Respect, I think it's important. But if you want to find respect, you have to go to a record shop and look under Aretha Franklin. You have to earn it. Don't find it, and it doesn't come automatically. It certainly does not come automatically in the automotive industry. Okay, And if you expect it to, you're just fucked, and you're not going to get it. You go looking for respect because you have some job title? Fuck that. Get the fuck back up in your chair, you chair-sitting fuck. You want to come back here and earn respect? You want to come back here and get respect, you're going to have to earn it. Do something to earn it, okay? Otherwise, you're not going to get any at all. That's how I feel about respect. Now, I've gone on for a long time about uh, a lot of nothing really here, to be honest with you. It is Labor Day, and I didn't really want to do anything anyway today, but I needed to be there for my boys and my girls, any of the girls out there, all six of you that are turning wrenches. Listen, I want to say uh, thanks again for what you do, and I hope the Labor Day was a good one for you. I did want to end with this little note. There are jobs out there, boys and girls. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of jobs out there. If you got one that sucks, I want you to get your ass on the internet, okay? And if you're a technician, I know you know how to use the internet because you have to find you have to find answers to questions on the internet. You have to use it. Use Google. Use it. It's a tool. It's there for you. You can find a video of a Russian doing anything to a car that you're trying to do. Believe me, they're out there. Well, what I did was, and I want to get through this really quick, and I don't want to make a big deal. I don't want to make. A, I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I'm going to. Okay. Now, I look at ads every day. I've told you this many, a thousand times before, and I look at ads for a very specific brand that I work for, and I look to see where uh, these jobs are coming from. Now, uh, a while ago, uh, this one particular site that I use, it's called uh, Japrapido. Japrapido. I'm going to say it that way from now. On. I don't even know how they're supposed to say it, but they post ads and they post all the ads from around the United States for me. For the, for the brand that I work for and for a technician of my skill and my stature and my nature. So I look, every day I look, and about a week ago, maybe even two weeks ago, there was 30 fucking pages of them, 30 pages of them, and there's probably about 10 or 15 good, solid technician want ads for the brand that I work for, which is not a big one on this particular site. So I figured that that's probably three, 300 and maybe about 25, maybe let's just say 50 of them aren't jobs that I would want. And maybe they're just, uh, you know, a receptionist or a carporter or something like that. But most of these jobs, I would say were for technicians. So we'll call it, we'll call it 250. So there's 250 jobs out there for a guy like me. And this is for a specific brand. I would think that if you work for like a Chevrolet or a GM dealer or a Ford dealer, that if you plug in what you're looking for as a Ford technician, that it should probably be double and maybe even triple the number of ads out there. So what I'm saying to you is there are jobs out there. They are all over the country. If you want to move, if you want to go somewhere that isn't where you are now, you certainly have fucking tons of options and let me just illustrate that for you right now real quick i was looking like i said for a brand specific job i don't really want to mention what it is i know some of you know what it is i kudos to you for figuring it out i probably said it but this this this, on this day labor day 2021 there was 24 pages of want ads for the technician for the brand i work for and on those 
were, I didn't even count them up. I should have probably done that, but I didn't. Uh, I counted how many states were out there and how many jobs there were in each state. There were actually, uh, in some cases, there were there were dealerships that put out ads uh, three and four times. So there wasn't some redundancy to it. But these these people just did that because they're so basically desperate for technicians. They're desperate. I, I found another website I was looking at where uh, managers, fixed house managers and district managers and general managers of shops uh, and dealerships were looking for technicians. They had 141 and they need 54 more, or they had 237, but they need 151 more. I mean, there is a excruciating, I can't even say it's hard enough or long enough. There's an excruciating shortage, excruciating. And I couldn't be happier about it because these dealers and shops that are suffering through this shortage of technicians and have more work than they can shake a stick at, they created this fucking problem. They created this problem by the way they treated us, okay? Now, in the brand I'm work, I work on, I looked up ads and I found that in California alone, there were 60 different ads, 60 different want ads for technicians for the brand I work for. Texas was number two at 41, okay? Lots of dealers in California, lots of dealers in Texas, all of them appears looking for technicians. The next, next biggest on the list, here, because what I did is I listed them by state. I didn't have all day, you know. Actually, I did, but I, I didn't want to spend all day doing it. Uh, the next one was Georgia at 23, okay? Um, there was a lot of states here that had six and seven and eight. Uh, some had 17, 19. New York was at 19. Florida was at 17. Uh, lots of states had two, Iowa, Michigan. So that there, the need for technicians there isn't as dire. Uh, there was uh, a lot of them that had uh, three, Wisconsin, Nebraska, three, Maryland, three. Arizona was at two. I guess apparently everybody's happy there. Oklahoma had two. Washington State had two. New Mexico had three. New Jersey had 15. Uh, those are the big ones. Ohio had 10. Alabama had 11. Like I said, New York was 19. Florida was 17. North and South Carolina, 12 and 13 apiece. And then also two on this particular site, and I believe it was supposed to be just for the United States. There were a couple of ads for uh, technicians in uh, England. Okay, now uh, I decided that I would check to see, and this site was very good about providing me with numbers. Uh, check to see how many uh, automotive technicians are necessary for the again for the specific brand that I work for. Okay, it's a German luxury brand uh, in other countries. Okay, so I checked Australia. Apparently, there's 124 technician jobs open in the continent of Australia. And uh, if I had the balls, I'd go there and work there because I think it's cool as shit to be there. And uh, kudos to all you people in Australia and what you do and how much how cool it looks from another country. England, the UK, the United Kingdom, Britain, whatever you want to call it, 151, okay, Canada. Uh, if anybody's familiar with the way Canada's laid out, it's a huge country, but everybody's squeezed into the lower section of it. <laughs> so uh, they were looking for 43 technicians. Mexico had ads uh, and need for 158 technicians. And this is just in the brand that I work for. Working in Chevy or Ford or maybe Dodge or Chrysler, it's got to be more, probably double or triple. Brazil, I wanted to try to find out what kind of a what kind of d- demand there is in South America. I just put in Brazil. Brazil's pretty fucking big, by the way. Let me just say, uh, Brazil had 198 openings for technicians for my brand. So you can draw whatever conclusions you want from there. There were a lot of states here that didn't have any. Uh, desire or need for BMW technicians, probably because a lot of these states don't have a dealer, or if they do have a dealer, they're 
full up with technicians. There was uh, the, the the list was small here. Thirty six states had ads for technicians for my brand. Fourteen did not. The fourteen that did not were Alaska, Montana, North and South Dakota, Wyoming, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Mississippi, West Virginia, Rhode Island, and Delaware. I would think that there's some of these cars there, so probably the dealers there are doing a little better job of keeping up with the technician needs. Idaho. Uh, there may not be uh, a dealership in Idaho from the brand I work for. And Arkansas, I'm not sure about Arkansas. I'm pretty sure there's probably at least one dealer there. But I wanted to just illustrate, I wanted to use those figures to illustrate a point. Folks, if you're not happy where you are, look around, please, okay? If they cannot see the real me, if they look at you and they look through you and they have no respect for you and they don't pay you, get the fuck out. There's jobs everywhere. They're out there. All right. And here's one of the other things that's happening. And I'm going to get off real quick. I'm well, going to get off real quick, but I'm going <laughs> to let me rephrase that phrasing, please. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to end this podcast real quick here. But I do want to say this. OK, right now, the dealership I'm working at lost five technicians in a span of about a month and a half. That uh, seems to have correlated with the fact that they have announced that they're going to hand out raises. Uh, there doesn't really seem to me to be any other sort of catalyst for this particular talk of raises other than the fact that technicians have left. So this is something that is also going to start happening out there. When a shop starts losing technicians because they have no respect for them and the the working conditions suck and they don't pay enough, they're going to have to start paying more. And that seems to me like the only thing that they really can do, which is something that they should have done in the first fucking place. All right. So, you can call it whatever you want to call it. I call it being reactive instead of being proactive, okay? Let them be reactive and walk out on them anyway. <laughs> It'll teach them. It'll learn them. It'll learn them. All right. I've learned how to I've learned how to sign off over the years doing this podcast, and I always do that this particular way. I go, see you.